Bible with me to the book of 1 Samuel. Well, yeah, where, where's that? It's, it's, it's next to Hezekiah. Maybe not. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Hallelujah. I don't even know how to title this thing this morning. I've, this is about my third message that I've run through since yesterday morning. Trying to, trying to nail it, what he wants to say. Because you could preach about anything. And, and every one of you could get up and declare the goodness of God. And have scripture for it. And we'd all say that's good. But uh, uh, I'm reminded of John 10.10. 10. We just never want to get away from I have come that you might have life and have it better. I've come that uh, the things are better. He said, I've come. And we, we talk about that. He did not come to forgive sin. He came to give us a better life, a good life, a life as God lives it. That's exceeding abundantly above what we could even ask or imagine or think, life as God has it. But the way to, the way to have that sin, that uh, life, is to forgive us of our sin. We couldn't do it with sin. So that's part of the recipe, as it were. And then in Matthew eleven thirty, the Lord Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So it's not through hard works. Um, I'm amazed at people that choose to be Buddhists or Hindus or Muslims or Zaoists and all those things because their yoke is not easy and their burden is not light. It's a hard task. It's a hard burden. It's uh, so much expected of them and very little promises made. There's no faith, no so-called faith in the world that has a single prophecy about the future. They can't do it because all they have is empty promises. They have a dead God. And yet the Lord has prophesied the future and then just doggone to prove it, he's prophesied right. And things we're reading about that are happening in the world, Gosh, there it is in the scriptures. And I can tell you, uh, you can watch TV if you want, if you want to find out how it's going. But the end is sure. He's, uh, the Lord read the end of the book. And so China's this, and uh, President Biden's that, and the Congress is this. And, you know, it's just the news. It's always been that way, and it will always be that way. But everything's turning out amazing. And we just don't have to take a thought about it. I wouldn't if I was you. I wouldn't even rehearse the news because it's just, it's just a story that'll be completely eclipsed tomorrow. What, what's going on today won't even matter tomorrow. The hottest thing, the biggest uh, scoop won't even be significant tomorrow. So yay for that. So uh, we've talked about this, but I want to bring up the word communication. Communication is a very powerful word in the kingdom because everything moves by communication and um, we've studied three ways that communication is made uh, one of them is is by word obviously sound waves and we can form sound waves we can adjust those sound waves by our thinking and say what we're thinking it's an amazing thing that you and i can can get into each other's heads or not by words that we say. Yeah, that's what we're doing right now. We're speaking words, you're hearing words, and there's a change, a potential transaction going on. And then we know communication is also by gesture. And uh, you, you can slightly roll your eye or 
slightly smirk, just kind of give a, a little devious smile at the wrong time. And you have communicated volumes. If someone tells you, well, this is what I think, and you, you roll your eyes, well, right there, you've told them. You've, you've communicated. Or if you just, they tell you something that's amazing to them, and you kind of like, it, it just speaks volumes. And so we know communication is by word and gesture. But we also know that communication is by spirit. Um, we have a lot of people that when they come, and it's always been this way in my home, that when they come to my home, they always leave or often leave saying there's a lot of peace in this home. So whatever's going on in your home doesn't just dissipate when you quit arguing or quit accusing or quit whatever people do in, in, in life. Uh, it lingers. It's in the spirit. And so that communicates. You can tell what's going on in somebody's life by coming into their atmosphere, coming into their, their realm it communicates. And so we know. We know when people are honest. We know when people are dishonest. Uh, don't we know when people are dishonest and are, we're suspicious or whatever? You can't prove it. So word, gesture, and spirit is communication. And so I want to talk about rejection this morning. And I don't really know where it's going, but we will, we will see about rejection. Uh, it's one of the key kingdom principles, a plank in the floor, as it were, to living successfully is how you and I handle rejection because rejection is communicated all the time. And a lot of it's by uh, weak people, insecure people. They reject you before you can reject them. It's a, it's a, a, a trigger. It's a mechanism where people stay ahead of things that they fear and they reject you, they, they try to put you off, get you off balance before you criticize them or exclude them. And we've all been through it. We've all been rejected. And uh, the rejection that's like in orphans, they, they don't know their parents most of the time, if ever. But there's a, just a lot of rejection there, even though they may be lovingly cared for by foster parents or, or be adopted out, all the things that are there. Yet they always want to know, where, why did my parents let me go? It's uh, unsaid. I let you go because of this or that. But it's by spirit they're rejected. And then we're all wanting to be accepted. The opposite of being rejected is to be accepted. And so we, we, we plan to be acceptable. We dress a certain way to go to certain things. We... We bring things, we speak of things, we, we endeavor to pave the road into anybody, anybody's life by acceptable behavior or acceptable words because we don't want to be rejected. And I think we do real good because of the word to approve or to reject by our communication. So uh, I wrote down that rejection is to refuse to accept or have. It means to cast out, to discard, or throw away as imperfect, useless, or unsatisfactory. So it's disapproval. Rejection is disapproval. So that means somebody that's disapproving of us has a standard. 
and they think they have power to enforce that standard. If you want to be in my life, I have a standard. And if you don't reach that standard, I'm going to reject you. You can't be in my life at some level. Uh, and, and we know this is in money. This is in society. This is in power circles. You have to be a certain something in order to be acceptable. And if you're not accepted, then you're rejected. So a lot of times we all recognize that and we don't even try to be accepted. We just, we just don't go there because we don't want to be rejected. We want to go where we're accepted. And that's why families are so important because no matter what you did, no matter what your past, no matter whatever, if, if it's true, a family will accept you when others might not be so kind. And so we cling to our families thinking that at least that's a safe haven, that's a place to go to. And so uh, I don't know if you, you have thought of it, but I think about people that rejection has dominated their life. They're just, they're just hamstrung. They're just crippled. They're just so afraid to step out because they're so insecure and, and actually afraid, fearful, that somebody will reject them. And like I said, it takes the smallest little notion for people to perceive I've been rejected. The smallest little slight, the smallest little uh, failure to, uh, to, uh, to accept or receive. Well, they don't like me. They don't want me. They, they, I know what they're saying. And, and so you, you have a lot of people jumping ahead, perceiving something's rejection. That's just have you ever stuck your foot in your mouth, so to speak, where you just said the wrong thing, but you didn't mean anything by it, but it, it set somebody completely off. And, uh, and so they spend their life coping. And boy, that's just a hard place to spend your whole life trying to be accepted in a place that might not ever accept you. That'll always reject you. But why would you want to be with them? I, I, I noticed this uh, Greek rush thing that's going on at the university and all over the world and everything. It's all about rushing, and if I get it right, that you, you, you're accepted or you're rejected based on the criteria that the organization, the sorority or fraternity has. And they're looking for a certain kind of people that are like them, I suppose, to join them. And so they pledge or they, is that right? They pledge and, and say, I want to be of your group, and then they, they determine, they decide whether to reject you or to accept you. And it's, you've got to be pretty sure that you can get in because the rejection would be crippling. It'd be hard. But it's that way, even in this church, where the doors come in from the side is definitely not what people want. They don't want to come in even with the front row and start looking around for a seat. It's, it's really a social negative. That's really at Coker why we moved the whole front door that came in at the side, we moved it to the back. We took out the balcony, we, we did everything just to get the back door so people could come in and kinda you know, adjust themselves and find a seat, and kinda like going into a dark theater. And so there's just a lot of social things working on people's lives. Uh, and I would say rejection limits people. And so if I want to get ahead, a lot of it's not just knowing the promises. It's getting a hold of myself and saying, I know who I am. And you can't reject me. I fit. I've, there's a place for me. 
And if it doesn't suit you, it doesn't matter to me because my status, my identity is not based on what you think of me. And, but that's a real, real hard thing for most people to get past, especially if they were raised by parents that one of them would say, you'll never amount to anything. What rejection? I don't know if you ever had that, but I actually had a real close family member that told me, uh, uh, you're not family to me anymore. It's because I spoke in tongues. I, I, got, I had been filled with the Holy Ghost and I, I, wasn't, I wasn't crowing about it by any means, but I just was talking about it, how wonderful it was. And he said, well, if you're going to believe that, you, you, can't be, you can't be in my group. Well, that's quite a rejection for a son. And uh, it, it kind of burned for a while, as you can imagine. But then I just shook it off and said, I, you don't even have the power to reject me. I'm... I'm well accepted everywhere else. Look in 1 Samuel chapter 18, if you would. Well, let's look at an example in the Old Testament. Verse 5 says, David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And so what happens? Saul set him over the men of war and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's people, servants, excuse me. He was accepted. And it came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine. That was a old happy day, wasn't it? Goliath. That the women came out of all cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul, the king, has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David was very, excuse me, Saul was very wroth and the saying displeased him. And he said, here's what he said. They have ascribed unto David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? So Saul took it personally, would you say? He took it personally. He was the king. And so he was jealous of David. Instead of changing his image with his people, he rejected the one that had upstaged him, even though it wasn't true. David had not upstaged Saul, but Saul had tried to put his armor on the young man. And, and uh, David said, no, I'll just go out there with the rock and the sling and all that sort of thing. So it was right there that, da that Saul had not gone out to meet the Goliath and David gone out and slew him. So Saul felt rejected. How many of y'all know sometimes the most boisterous of people, and I, I know this for our truth experientially, sometimes the most boisterous of people, the most over, uh, uh, um, how do you say that? Uh, they, they just, they're just always wanting to be in charge. They're just always got a handle on it and everybody wants to please them. Uh, they're the, sometimes the most insecure people of all. When you get them into a corner or find out how they handle things when, when they're not in charge, they're, they're, they're really nothing. They're very defensive, very fearful, very insecure. But when you see them in a public place, you go, what a bully, what a meanie, what a, what a hardhead that person is. I've known someone, I've known several, but I'm thinking of one person that was totally in charge every time. If you stepped up into his presence, he, he was totally in charge and totally, uh, 
you know, what are you doing here? And yet, he couldn't handle anybody that would push back. So Saul then became afraid of people, and he was afraid of rejection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, let me just read this verse to you. I think Barry will have it up for you. But it says, the Lord, in verse 18, he hath set the members in the body, say it with me, as it has pleased him. The Lord hath set the members in the body as it has pleased him. So really, if the Lord's good, aren't we good? I mean, if I, nobody in here, I would have chose to be taller. I'll, I'll tell you honestly, uh, I, I would have been taller. Five foot six is not what I would have chose. And I'm not insecure about it, but I'm just like, what is wrong with my parents that they couldn't have ordered up a little better? Uh, you know, I could have had smaller ears or bigger ears or big feet, but, but taller would have been good. But none of us have anything to do with any of it. We are what we are, and you can pretty it up as best you can and make it go as far as it'll go. But it is what it is. And so uh, uh, the Lord's happy. He made you and me, and he put us in the body, the body of Christ, but in our own family. He put us in. I would not choose my family. Many of my members of my family, just like you, if they were in a long line and I was supposed to go down the line and pick out three or five of them, I, my family wouldn't have made the cut. Do you all know what I'm talking about? I'm not being unkind here. I'm just saying, definitely, if they hadn't have told you that was your family, because you, when you were born and they, you didn't look at your mother and say, oh, the one that birthed me and my father, well, look at the one that's, we, they all had to tell all of us, we are your family. They, you had to know it by communication. Well, they could lie. They could lie and say, we're your family, but actually they were the neighbors or somebody. Um, we only know what they tell us. So we can't choose it. So what do you do? You either chafe at your family and your friends or your co co co-workers, or you just decide to get along because there's some things you just can't change. Well, amen. So we are set in the body as it has pleased him. I am set in the body as it has pleased God. I am set in the body. He set me in the body. He set you in the body as it has pleased him. So we, could we say God's pleased? He's happy about it. He's not like, oh, man, how'd that happen? What is going on down there? They, it is not like I like it. No, he's pleased. So turn with me where Melissa just left you to Acts chapter 10. I'm going to say she was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now, here's the point I want to make. And we talk about this all the time, but let me just say you cannot overstate what I'm about to say. You cannot overemphasize it because it's daily. Uh, every day when you, every evening when you lay your head down and, and uh, you mark off that day and you say, I'm going to go to sleep and in the morning I'll have a new day. There's some things that try to carry over to the new day. Some things are, are done. But some things try to carry over. And one thing that tries to carry over is rejection. And I call it two of the most 
evil or hard words on you and I in Jesus, who we are in Jesus, is competition and comparison. But the word says he has set us in the body severally as it has pleased him. Look in uh, Acts chapter 10 again. He said, then Peter opened his mouth. So we'd have to read the verses ahead of that, but they're, they're not relevant to the statement. He said, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him, is accepted with him. So the Lord's taking credit for making you just like you are. And no doubt we all have things that we would do better than the Lord gave us. I would be taller. I'd probably be smarter. I'd probably be better, better looking. I'd probably be more eloquent. I, I'm not unhappy with any of those, but, you know, an upgrade shouldn't have cost him anything more. I mean, it's not like I'm taking it from somebody else. Look at all the dumb, tall people that are out there. You know, why, 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 why are all these blessed, tall people? No offense, Barry. But you go, why are you so tall? What, were you, what was so good about you that the Lord said, I got to reward this guy. He, I got to make him tall. But Michael, nah, we're going to throw him to the dogs. <laughs> so um, there's no competition. And this is where I want to go. There's no competition in the kingdom. You don't have to compete with somebody else. You don't have to compare yourself to someone else because he has set you in the body. He has set me in the body severally as it has pleased him. What is a higher standard than he's pleased? He's happy. You know, if the Lord's happy, let's go to the house and eat ice cream. Because if he's happy, there's no, don't mess it up. Don't stand around trying to do more because it can only get worse. Uh, I've got a bunch of translations here. I didn't have the one that Melissa read. In the New Living, it says, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. Would you say that last part with me? No favoritism. So nobody has an advantage. If your whole advantage is God, no one has an advantage. He said in the CEV, I am certain that God treats all people alike. Wow, it seems like he treats some people better. It seems like somebody got born into a rich family or a famous family or a, a business uh, environment or they were amazingly handsome or just extraordinarily beautiful and they have an advantage. And the Lord's saying he doesn't want our advantage to be something natural but he wants us to get our advantage from the Lord Jesus Christ. The easy to read, see if this is easy to read, God does not consider some people to be better than others. So we just have to knock that off. I'm not comparing myself to anybody. So I'm not competing with anybody. I've been to uh, meetings like camp meeting, in Tulsa and uh, Brother Copeland's meetings, just that's just I'm not criticizing them. I'm just saying that's the meetings I've been to. And you can tell people that have money or big credit cards, they walk in with fifteen hundred dollar suits and they do look good. 
Don't, don't think they're the same. They do look good. And, and their wives walk in with these amazing dresses. And they just look like they stepped out of a, a bandbox. They just look amazing. And you go, is it cooler in those clothes? Or is it uh, uh, heat reflective in those clothes? Or uh, do, when you sit down, it doesn't wrinkle as bad in those clothes? What, what is the purpose of that? Well, you just know, you know that somewhere deep inside everybody, there's something working unconsciously that says, I am going to not only put my best foot forward, I am going to knock them in the dirt. I, they're going to be looking at me and saying, that's the best. That's so, so good. And I don't think the Lord likes it that way when he doesn't have any favorites in his, in his kingdom. The TEV says God treats everyone on the same basis. The, 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 uh, the Living Bible says the Jews are not God's only favorites. Isn't that interesting? The NCV, I don't even remember, says to God, every person is the same. The ESV says God shows no partiality which is part of what Melissa read. God shows no partiality. No one has a leg up or a door in. No one is at the front of the line. The weast, God does not show partiality to anyone because of his looks or circumstance. Now, we all know all this, and everybody in here would say, what's the news? We all know that. But knowing it and actually working out of it might be two different things. Because if someone has told you in the past, or if you looked in the mirror, or if you looked in your bank account, you could perceive a weakness or an, a disadvantage and say, I'm going to have to work harder or get things going better in order to stay on the same level field. So their circumstance, you, what if you were, had polio when you were six and you were in a wheelchair? Do you think those people are self-conscious? Do you think someone that's got uh, muscular dystrophy or, or uh, uh, whatever the diseases are that, that impair, do you think that they are as sure and as confident and as boisterous as someone that walks in at six foot and, you know, looks like he stepped out of a bandbox? Don't you know that's a challenge? But you, it'll limit you. It'll limit me. I want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you would. 2 Corinthians 5. Now, this thing comes up all the time. As a matter of fact, it came up last week to me. Somebody asked me, a pastor asked me, said, do y'all believe in once saved, always saved? And uh, I said, well, of course. He goes, well, we don't. So what does it mean when you don't believe in once saved, always saved? What does that mean? Well, it means you can fall from grace, doesn't it? It means that you can behave in a way that you can fail to go to heaven. Is that what it means? I, I, yes, it is. That you, there's a behavior that you can embrace, a lifestyle that you can take on, that God is so displeased with you that he throws you out. 
He's just like, nah, that, that's not my child. That's not my kid. Sounds kind of rejecting, doesn't it? The Bible says he doesn't reject anybody. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's look in verse 17. He said, therefore, hey, let's just say it for the record. I know every one of you in here know this, but I want to give you a basis for when people come to you and say, well, why do y'all believe you're saved no matter what you've done? Who you've killed or who you've left or who you divorced or who you, uh, what, how many children you fathered or, or what, all the things that society said, that is a double no-no. Drunken disorderly, did five years for drugs. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, so if you're in Christ, you're in Christ, that means you're born again, doesn't it? One version says, if any man be in Christed, he is a new creature. The word there is also translated creation. So we don't think it's an underwater monster. He's a new creation. He's a new creation. So what's, what's going on here? Well, people that don't know the new birth... Don't they think that God has just given out like like taking a math test in the seventh grade? If you made below 70, if you made 69 or below, you had to take the test over. You had to take the, the course. Over. Well, you, you got thrown out of whatever the 70s and above's had. You're rejected because of your behavior. You didn't study. You... Your dog died, something like that, and it didn't happen. And so the Lord, these people that say that uh, you can fall from grace, I wonder what it is about grace and mercy that we need when we're doing just fine. In other words, when do you need grace and when do you need mercy? When you didn't do good, when you didn't do right, when you're not accepted with everybody else, you didn't, you didn't make 70 above, you, you are a 48 on your test. That's when you need mercy. It's not when you made a 99 and, and had extra credit that threw you into hundreds. That's not when you need mercy. So mercy, if the Lord is merciful, he uses it for people that need mercy. We're just making a case here. How secure we are and how accepted we are in the beloved. He said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. And then he, he explains it. Semicolon. Old things are passed away. Literally, the word there for passed away means just what it says. He passed away. He's dead. The old man that you were has passed away. He's dead. He's been what uh, Brother Hagin used to say, annihilated destroyed. He's, he's not like, well, he's, 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 I've got him locked in the shed so that if I ever die, well, he can come back. If I ever go into a sin life and, and turn against God, well, he can come back. No, he's dead. He's gone. He's, he ceases to exist. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. And then he, he, he describes that. He says, behold, that one's dead, but who's there? All things are become new. So the all things are become new talks about the new birth. The new birth. That the old man that you were didn't just get an upgrade. Didn't just like, okay, 
we're going to graduate you. You really needed 20 credits, but you had 19 and a half, and we've talked to the teacher over there in civics, and he's going to just give you a passing grade, and so you're going to get in based on your performance or your behavior. It's not that, is it? It's not that. It's not based on behavior. He said, all things have become new. You are born again. And in, in uh, the word, it talks about, uh, who was it that came to, Nicodemus that came and said, how, how can you get born again? Can, can you, do you physically get rebirth? He said, no, no, it's what happens to your spirit, man. It's a new creation Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So we're, we're, we, can't, we can't get right with God by works. And we cannot get unright by works. Let's get that straight. How do you get born again? It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to his mercy, he has saved us. So that's how we got born again. Well, yeah, that's how you got born again. But if you mess up, if you don't act right, according to our standards, according to our religion, according to our mantra, if you don't act right, we say that God's going to throw you out. And the Lord never mentioned it, but uh, he never mentioned it in any of it. I, they don't have scripture. They have scripture that they take out of context. And when, and, and when it's talking about something else and talks about failing or falling, but it's not about the new birth. Verse 18, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself. So sin separated us, but Jesus reconciled us to God by Jesus Christ and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. Well, that must mean we're perfect, that we never fail, that we never mess up, that we're always right. We're walking just like the Lord. We're in a fallen state. This world is fallen. There's a curse in this world. There's the sin nature that's all around us. There's evil, corruption. We are going to mess up. I said we do mess up. But that doesn't change the inside. What the outside does is not reflective of the inside, the condition. So he said, uh, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciled the world unto him, not imputing their trespasses unto them, So you got 10 to 15 for murder. Well, that just, that goes on your permanent heavenly record. You, you, you got to go to hell now. Now, then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's names, be ye reconciled to God. Now here it is, verse 21. We always just put this verse in there separately and let it stand on its own. But it said, he hath made him who knew no sin... Excuse me. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made. There's that word made. The word made there is completed or finished. It's a, it's a finished work. It's, it's when you got the last stroke of paint on the painting and you wash out your brush and you put the thing on the wall, it's finished. You're not bringing it back down off the wall next week, taking it out of the frame and giving it a little touch up. That uh, him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
I'm born again. And that's the end of it. There is a mechanism in 1 John 1, 9, where when we do sin, our soul gets in the way. We're tempted. Our sins, our, our spirit is sealed. Sin can't affect you in your spirit. We're sealed by the Holy Ghost. Adam was not sealed. So he had a chance to fall, but we cannot because we've been sealed by the Holy Ghost. So when you mess up, the mechanism is 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, agree with them is what it means. If we agree with our sins, we don't just say, well, I did it because, because Johnny got in the way and told me it'd be okay. No, when we confess, when we agree with our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and then to cleanse us, to assure us that it's been, we've been restored to our in Christed state, we've been restored in our mind. We never did leave the in Christed state, but in the condemnation of the sin, we might feel inferior and unaccepted, even rejected. He said, if you confess it and get it out, I'll cast it into the sea of my forgetfulness and we'll never bring it up again. <clears throat> and you'll be completely restored. How restored? As if it never happened. I love that surf pro. That, they got the kingdom message. As if it never happened. We have the prodigal son story to tell us. It was bad. It was way bad. Spent all of his, all of his living, on, all of his money on riotous living. But the father was always waiting. It, it just doesn't stand up there. So we're not rejected we're accepted in the beloved. I'm accepted in the beloved. So I'm telling everybody on broadcast, everybody here, we have no past. Jesus took our past and he dealt with it. The Lord Jesus thinks, he thinks that he solved the sin problem. He thinks he solved it. And no one's been able to talk him out of it. Not these preachers that ask me, well, what do y'all believe? Y'all believe in that once saved, always saved business? Usually for a different reason than they do, but it all comes out the same. And I will remind you and myself that no matter what you think about once saved, always saved, or fall from grace, it doesn't matter because it's going to be whatever it is. It's not something you can change here. And if you're thinking about it, you might not be born again yet anyway. Okay, let's go back to competition and comparison. If I'm not trying to live on top of the line... I'm not trying to just be sent, uh, saved enough where I can go to heaven, and, but I can live in the world. Well, then I'm going to have to compete and compare, and it's going to be hard in my life. 1 Peter 2, 4 says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, by, but chosen by God. I'm chosen. I said, we're chosen. Not just tolerated. I tell sometimes, I tell Deborah, and I, you know, because I, I can be quite something to live with, I've heard. And I tell her, I said, you've got, the, you've got a great dose of the ministry of, of uh, toleration. <laughs> uh, we could probably all go there. 
John 1.10 says he was in the world and though through the world was made and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. Listen, listen. But his own did not receive him. Now, we got to get in line here about rejection. They rejected the Lord and he was perfect and he was never mean. He never lost his temper like we have. He's never told a story that wasn't just exactly true. He never misrepresented anybody. He was always forgiving. He was always on the high side. He, he, he told the, the, woman, the Syrophoenician woman, the little dogs, you're, you're like the little dogs, not for you. And uh, then he said, let me heal your daughter. He was perfect. So if he was persecuted, it could be that we would be. Uh, Isaiah 53, 3 says he was despised and rejected of men. So a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. So we all rejected him until we got born again, didn't we? So I'm going to make this one point here. How do we handle rejection? Because it is real. The world is, uh, is real in, uh, uh, in math. Let's see where we want to go here. Uh, I, well, I don't know. I'm all over the place here. But Jesus was love. God is love. Jesus was love. And love is grieved when it is rejected. So instead of being like Saul who got mad at the people that weren't rejecting him, but they were throwing David in there with him, he got angry at David. And you know the story. He, he tried to kill David because he was rejected. He did, he was, David was doing everything he was told to do. Saul was who he was, and what they said about him wasn't going to change who he was. But instead of being angry, the Lord Jesus was sorrowful when he was rejected because love sorrows when they're rejected. Now listen, we're all the righteousness of God in him. We are special. I said, you are special. It's not like I'm barely good enough. And when I said that about the ministry of toleration, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm just, we just kid about it because all of us can be off the wall just a little bit and, and bold. And we say, well, everybody has to just tolerate me. I understand that River Church has gone through a great siege of toleration for me because there's a hundred things you could criticize and not like about me and the way I am and the way I deliver and everything. But, I, you know, it's, you would be like that if you were up here too. It's, it's not that I'm so terrible. It's just the way it is. And we all have to walk in compassion and love. Y'all say amen just, just so I won't be rejected. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Garland. Hallelujah. I want to go to Romans chapter 9, and then we'll wrap this thing up. I, I really feel like I'm preaching to the choir this morning in that everything we talk about around here talks about how we are in him. As he is, so are we in this world. So we don't suffer from this, and, and, and we, we don't. But in Romans chapter 9, verse 1, it says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. 
my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. I wish, I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. So what he's saying there is, is that Paul loved the Jews so much that when they were persecuted, when they were rejected, and they were and they still are, he was sorrowful. He said, I wish I could take it on. In, in chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So instead of rejecting people or, or not supporting them, we should sorrow when others are rejected. I, I, I'm believing God with y'all, every one of us, for the very best in your life. And when it doesn't work that way, it's working that way, but until, in, until it works that way ultimately, sometimes we get snagged up. And I hate it for people that are delayed and things are put off. And you want to tell people, God loves you. This has got no reflection on that. Well, if he loved me, this would be happening sooner. And we can all make that argument in our speculator. But it's not true. All things are working together for good for us. Everything's turning out amazing. So I, I've got uh, uh, love. Ben Johnson, 1 Corinthians 13. Love stays in difficult relationship with kindness. Love does not play one up manship, nor does it react to those who do. Love is not rude or grasping or overly sensitive. We're talking about rejection here. Nor does love search for imperfections and faults in others. Love celebrates what is real, not what is perverse or incomplete. Love is the most enduring quality of human existence. It keeps on keeping on. It trusts in God in every situation and expects and expects God to act in all circumstances. Nothing can destroy love. So we just got to love people that reject us. It's like, well, you just don't know. You, you, you're probably dumb as a rock in some other area because you're sure dumb as a stump there. God loves me. I'm accepted in the beloved. And I do. Ephesians 1. I want to read that scripture and then we'll quit. Ephesians 1. I'm born again. Are you born again this morning? Can you be, can you be excluded from that? There is a passage in Hebrews that talks about perverse conditions absolutely and long-term rejection of God. Long-term and complete uh, rejection of the faith where you can be put into place of jeopardy concerning the new birth. But nobody here and has done it and nobody here knows anybody that has done it. It is extreme. It is in the word that you can reject your sonship over a long enough and protracted uh, a time. It, it's, it's available only to those, the word says, that have tasted the heavenly gift and of the times to come. In other words, you've been there. You didn't just reject it because you got born again last week and it didn't go your way and so you want to change your mind. It's talking about someone that has been immersed in the, 
in the precious things of God and knows the covenant and knows the things that were taken to purchase them, they're demon-possessed. They're totally demon-possessed. And they, they go that way. They go the way of darkness. Hebrews talks about that. But I, I hate to even bring it up because it is so small, the, the, the part of, of the kingdom that could go that way. But in Ephesians chapter uh, 1, verse 6, it says, to, pray, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Wherein he hath made me accepted in the beloved. Would you say it with me? Wherein he hath made me accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. It's a done deal. You, you, you are so special. You are so important. We could go to the scripture in Corinthians where he talks about uh, the different parts of the body. And we could make allusions to the little toe, the, the toenail on the little toe on the left foot. What, what's more trivial and, and, and useless than that if we were going to assign value? And he said, every part's important. Every part's important. We've always said that if an usher in the church would do a better job and be more faithful to that position than the pastor was that was doing signs and wonders, that the reward would be higher and greater for that one. So there's no advantage to here. As a matter of fact, the word says, if you teach the word, you're under a stricter judgment. So there must be a greater opportunity for reward, but you can. So we just stay in our place. No competition. We, we, I've had people in church that's like, I want to get up there and sing. Well, how come you want to get up there and sing? Well, I want them to know how pretty I am. And I, I always just say, well, let me sing a verse or two and then they'll think everybody's pretty. They'll, they'll like everybody. I'm accepted in the beloved. Let's stand up this morning. Praise God. Let's just cast our care upon the Lord. Anything, anything that's been rejected by somebody, been passed over for a promotion or you know, the, the, your brother or sister is the favorite in the family or anything your parents have said, anything, just anything that made you feel inferior in any measure. It's from the pit of hell. It's from the devil. It's from, it's from the flesh. The unrenewed mind would say and do those things. So right now, Lord, anything that, that you want to say to us now and in the days ahead concerning our attitude of not being totally accepted in the beloved, we reject it in Jesus' name. We are accepted. I am accepted. You have set me in the body severally as it has pleased you. You like me just fine. I know you wish I'd do better. I do too, Lord. I, I really, and I'm, I am working on it. I am, and I am doing better than I used to. But uh, you like me just fine, just like I am. And I praise you, Lord, that all over this house, we are the most precious thing that you've ever been around. We are the best you have in every realm. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's sing a song.